hey kids, you uh, you trying to get into Segment City? Well, you really shouldn't, because Segment City is a mature podcast, and listener discretion is advised. I'm just trying to look at, I know I'm in an alleyway, I know, I know how I look, but I got some fireworks for you kids. I got snakes and I got sparklers, that's all I got. Oh, don't give me that. It's the fall season, Will. It's time to get out there with your rake and start raking. I hope you're ready to have your back hurting everything after a day's of hard work. Oh, my back always hurts. Let me just get into this very creaky rocking chair. Creak. (laughs) It's not making that much noise. (laughs) I don't have to make any noises with my mouth. Creak. (laughs) <laughs> listen i was trying to creep my chair i don't think it was picking up though but you know what's the worst thing the youth the youth because every the time g- i make a big pile of leaves these young whippersnappers they jump in with their golden retrievers on great adventures oh, and, and i say to you son of a bitch and i get my revolver out <laughs> start shooting at them. and i start shooting there i say get out get 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 well i think listen side note Mm-hmm. Leaves, not that soft. It's kind of a lie. <laughs> that <laughs> it's is, kind of a lie. That is a statement only said by somebody who trusted leave softness. I too much. trusted leaves. But I, not only is it not that soft, there's also like you know pretty big sticks in there. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to get oh, hit with if you jump in, jump into a big pile of leaves. That was I used to love jumping into leaves, and then I think it was my dad or somebody was like, you know, it's all like there's gunk in there, right? Yeah, it's like, like there's dead, worms. It's dead, I think yeah, I like nasty. picked up a leaf and it had like worms on it, and I was yeah. like, oh, oh, yucky! Like, you think like did leaves that. are not clean? Why they're they're on the ground? Clearly, they're not clean. Like it's decomposing. It, That's the whole point. It's kind of like snow, where it's like if it's freshly fallen. That's okay. I can perfect. believe it. There's a moment, yeah. but then it gets all dirty all and nasty, dirty. and you all go, nasty. Mm, no, I'm not into that. I was bringing up fall because I was doing a little bit of fall garden tending, prepping for the end mm. of the end of the season and end of the world, yeah. end of the world. Yeah, and um, we were we're dealing with some particularly persistent plants. Now there's some alliteration mm. for you. Some little weeds mm-hmm. that just refuse to go away. We keep pulling them up, keep pulling them up, keep pulling them up, and finally I broke down and I got out there in the middle of the night because I don't want my neighbors to see me using the Roundup, Will. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to be next to a neighbor that's doing. The, yeah, let's get the roundup, boys. We're gonna get, get all roundup. these little weeds, these persistent. That's little right. Weeds. It's a midnight roundup. <laughs> <laughs> so you're outside. Uh-huh. You you do sometimes create a vision of your life that uh-huh. I like peer into. Uh-huh. Of you at I and I presume that you have the like old man runners like headlamp <laughs> yeah, of course, and you're yes. just kind of like where is that little fucker? Where is that like, fucker? <laughs> try to get him with the roundup, and then your neighbors who are like, is that is that Theo? Is that What's he doing? Boy? What's he doing? <laughs> is that a, is he new that new in the neighborhood kid? Is he rounding those up? 
What is he doing? That's a roundup right there. This is in these weeds. They're like the rock. They just come back and they're the same every single roll. And you know, so I I just know because there's a certain energy in my neighborhood. Someone posted in my my neighborhood Facebook group, and they said, "Just remember, roundup will kill your plants, all of your future plants, your cousins, your grandmother, your parents." (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Oh." <laughs> oh. It'll Whoa. come for you. It'll, It'll come, come for you. Roundup. And I, obviously, we're being facetious, but I think the general sentiment is we don't like people who use Roundup. But listen, <laughs> some of these little fuckers, they're never going. Gotta- I read online the weed that I'm particularly trying to deal with. They said I, your two options are option A, cover the area affected by the weed with a tarp. And put bricks around the edge of it so it can't escape. And leave the tarp there for five years. Are you fucking kidding me? Or option B, spray it with Roundup. So what do you think I did? (laughs) (laughs) This this does uh, open up the the person who I thought was just the crazy neighbor. Maybe they had a method to their madness. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not an unreasonable man. (laughs) That That is absurd. Five, like, five years. They're they just said like, five years. They said five years of the article. Put it into solitary confinement yeah. for five years, and then maybe it'll think about its story. You don't think you underground, know? it's spreading out its roots and going like, I don't have to deal with this shit. I can pop up somewhere else. I'm a fucking plant. The fact that it takes five years. Five like, I years. I can understand if it was like, yeah, after a few weeks, it'll not have enough sunlight and water and whatever, and then it'll be good. It's like, <laughs> this little fucker is like a cockroach yeah. who can you, uh, oh, survive a nuclear explosion. And don't even think about pulling it off after four years. That guy will come back up. Ah, it's so good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, that that is the, the toughness of home ownership because, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll give you the toughness of uh, having an apartment. Okay. Uh, our front uh, step is like cement on our, yep. our front porch. It's been cracked and all our landlord has done, because I think somebody must have fucking crashed into it or something. Like it oh, is no. very cracked. Um, and all he did was put a, a traffic code on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, that's my life. Like he's, I don't think he's going to be repaired. I love anytime that this soon. man, this man, he went to the Home Depot <laughs> and he said to himself, no, I'm not a construction worker, but yes, I am going to purchase a traffic cone. It's funny because he's like a handyman. Like he, he's one of those like old oh Boston God. guys who's just like, yeah, I can fucking fix it. And he's like, oh, the front a, stoop. Uh, there you go. Watch uh, out. Caution. Nah. Caution. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I, don't, I think he's like, yeah, you got enough space to kind of walk around. It. Walk it's around fine. It. <laughs> so that's, that's been my life. And you know what? I mean, I, does that hold up in court? If someone slips on his broken step, he's like, no. well, I put a traffic cone right Absolutely there. Not. So they weren't supposed to go there. That is, that is not how anything, <laughs> like I said to my mother, this is why tenant laws exist yes. <laughs> for, for things. Agree. Like but I, it's, it's not a big enough deal. And that's how landlords escaped. But not in Segment City. We put all landlords to death. What? I guess I gotta go. I gotta leave. <laughs> I gotta oh. leave right now. <laughs> you Everybody just hear a knock loves at the door. The landlord. <laughs> uh, I'm Will Kane, and I'm just a, I'm a renter for life, baby. I have no home ownership in my future. And I'm Theo Sabacos, and I'm putting traffic codes everywhere. You can't step anywhere. <laughs> you're, you're the landlord. <laughs> And this is a podcast in which we just uh, complain about landlords. That's right. And I'm here for it. 
No, this is a podcast in which Theo and I, we dumpster dive our way through the internet and we get all those good comedy morsels from Amazon, Wikipedia, all your favorite websites. But we're going to start with a Will's stupid thought. We're still you and I in the Halloween spirit. So we're going to, even if this is in November. Never going to No, let's keep running. It's all year round for me. It's spooky. But uh, my stupid, this is a Will asks technically. What was your first... A Halloween costume you remember wearing? I remember. Oh yeah, okay, I remember. I remember wanting to be a skeleton when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, there's a very organic way you could do that if you wanted to. What, you're stop being so spooky, Over Will. Time. <laughs> turn and turn down the spookiness. And I All remember. Right. My I flash forward my parents' idea how they wanted to do this rather than buy me any they were they were full on board the homemade costume train, which I can now appreciate. Oh my God. But as a child, I was always like, I wanna buy the rubber yeah, mask. You want, the, and, you want the official ones. Right. But as now I can appreciate their efforts and I you yeah. know, they put in hard work. So, anyways, homemade, they they had me wear black black shirt, black pants, and then my flash forward to me standing there doing a t-pose as my two doctor parents argued over an anatomically correct skeleton that they were putting on me with tape and they were standing me like no that doesn't go there <laughs> these fucking merits i know and i was just standing there like this is not what i wanted <laughs> you're just like ralphie in the christmas story in a bunny suit just like i can i get out of this now can i please like, leave this sucks ass dude <laughs> At least they did try to, like, make you one of those anatomically correct dolls that you can open up. Because uh, we have a friend that is in, like, medicine. And we got one of those where you can, like, take the pancreas out and uh, shit. Like, then yeah. it's a little squishy. Um, mine was a lot more simple. Uh, and I think it was from the store. I think it was Barney. You were Barney. I got dressed up as Barney. A little tiny I Barney, Barney boy. That's cute. Yeah. That's cute. I That's remember, a costume. You know the, like, kind of weird foam head for, like, sure, I have yeah. one of those. It was right. very cute. And then I, cause I looked at old pictures and like my bro- oldest brother was like a ninja. Mm. My middle brother was like a pirate. Mm. And then I was always the goofiest bullshit because my parents were <laughs> like, and then, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I sure, love, what, we're not I gonna love spend when money kids, on this, some kids go through a phase where they just like pull the most, like they're just an object, like rather than being like a scary monster <laughs> yeah. or something. Like there was a year where my brother decided that he really more than anything wanted to be celery. And so my mom made him a <laughs> celery costume. What a random thing. I right, thought it was right, going right. to be like, oh, I want to be a TV or like, I want to be a basketball. <laughs> oh, I want, I want a calorie negative, actually, of celery. It's all water. And then I was talking to one of my coworkers and they were like, yeah, one of my daughters wants to be like, you know, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And my other daughter recently got a water bottle and wants to be that water bottle for, for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> a reference yeah, surely everyone it. will get. <laughs> that's, I, I love that so much. That's, <laughs> that's peak kid That's behavior. great, right? Oh, do you know what your favorite Halloween costume was? My favorite Halloween costume was I wanted, listen, we've talked many a time on this podcast how I am a Waluigi body type. That is my yeah. my nature. That's my my body's preferred shape. Yeah. And so one Halloween, I decided when I was little. I mean, I was I hadn't grown yet. I wasn't tall, but I wanted to be a, a muscle man. I wanted to be a bodybuilder. That was going to be my costume. <laughs> okay. yeah. So my mom got me a skin colored like 
leotard uh, not a leotard like a, a yeah like a it's like a, a muscle suit right yeah like a suit but it was it didn't have built-in muscles it was just like a skin tight suit but then we oh. filled it with stuff to make it look like muscles no so <laughs> then i was just like this lumpy Lump, boy yeah lump then, city usa right and then i had um we had made these like we we made basically a bench press bar with like with like weights on the side of it out of like we spray painted circles of styrofoam silver to make them look like weighted oh, plates this- that's and then fine. we had like yeah. a, um, we had just like a long stick. So I was like a little kid and I was wearing, carrying around with one hand, this thing that looked like a bench press bar with weights on it. It was a pretty good, I think it was a pretty good visual. It's a pretty good, good, pretty good gag. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I actually like that. It was, see, that's the joy of a homemade costume is I was like, I want to be a muscle man. Mom, figure out what that means. And <laughs> she, she figured it out. Here's the thing is that you, you actually got help from your parents. I got mm. like the minimum amount. And so all of my early costumes were me shooting for the moon right. and not even making it among the stars. Right. Like going way back to Earth. Right. Because I <laughs> crashing I, I remember back in, in elementary school, I I wanted to so badly because I saw somebody showed me like Warhammer miniatures and I really oh, like dark yeah. elves. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I want to be a dark elf. Okay. And I said that's the thing I said to my parents, and they said, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> So I just got like, kind of that's some bullshit. You know, I, I got like purple elf ears and then like a ratty old robe, and that uh-huh. was it. Like, so okay. that's all I got. Um, but like some of them, I've done some DIY. I was Bane for in senior oh. year of high school, and I, and I made the mask DIY. It wasn't yeah. great, but it was, I made it out of like uh gray straws for the kind of like weird. Oh, yeah, totally, um, totally. I could picture that. And it, it's it, but the problem was I didn't have like the coat that he had. I just kind of right, like, like put on the, a kind of sort coat. of like white, the white like fluffy kind of lined with the yeah. brown. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. could I could do that now because I have a coat like that now. But yeah, it didn't work out. So like my modern day costumes, I think are a lot more successful. Yeah. <laughs> like when we were uh, Wario and Waluigi, although we weren't in the same party. I think, I think one of like, our uh, most successful was Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. That was an all time. Oh, that was good. That was great. We've done a we've done a we've done more couples costumes with each other than we've done with our. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I've done one with Andy so far, and I've done three with you. So. I think that's right, yeah. Rick and Morty was good, too. Rick and Morty was good, too. Uh, ripped that franchise. <laughs> Although they got new voice actors, so yeah, hopefully back. keeps going. I don't know. I stopped watching that show a while ago because the fan base was toxic. And I'm toxic, too, and I love oh. it. Oh. Whoa, whoa. Well, hopefully your next segment's not toxic. Oh, it's toxic. Get ready for Shit. it. This <laughs> oh, one no. comes to us from thetakeout.com. Gotta Pumpkin spice red vines are a seasonal Frankenstein. Stop it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm on board with that about this one. What the fuck? Pumpkin spice red vines. For those unfamiliar, red vines are a twist a twizzler alternative. I think they're yeah. a regional thing. I don't see them in stores. Are like they? I don't see them in stores. I mean, maybe I'm not looking in the right stores, but I'm yeah. I'm a twizzler guy. I don't know where you fall. I'm a twizzler I'm, man. I don't like uh the twizzler type at all. I, I think there is there's like a cherry flavor that I remember really mm, liking. Mm. That was like the, I like the ones that you can pull off. Like you pull off little bits of it, but even those taste waxy to me. I don't I understand. I distinctly appeal. remember, I have a pretty core childhood memory of visiting family friends for around Christmas when I was a kid. And these were folks who were on the older side. Like they're, they're my mom's, mm. they're my mom and dad's friends. Like they were older and yeah. they thought that giving children licorice for christmas was a good gift and it's not i tried licorice for the first time and i was like what what were these people thinking i'm a child do you guys know (laughs) do you guys know about hey can i can i tell you about fun dip 
Can I yeah, can I, I tell like, you about <laughs> the baby bottle pop experience? This is this is trash. What are you giving me? This is <laughs> this is such like I imagine Kid Theo, who's probably already like five foot eight, um, just being like, "Hey, um, I don't know what you're on. What are you smoking? What kind of pills they got you on, Grandma? Because this is ass. This is this is terrible. terrible. This is horrible. This is like I've had pure <laughs> sugar. Have you heard of uh, Twix? Or <laughs> have you I, heard? Listen, of I don't know if you realize, but we're not in the depression anymore, and so you can <laughs> buy me some real real candy. You could go out to the store right now, get a thing called Pixie Sticks that is literally just, just cocaine sugar for kids. in a tube. Yeah, <laughs> and I pour it into my goddamn mouth, my maw, <laughs> and I eat it, and it's great. Ugh. But back to this headline, pumpkin spice red vines are a seasonal Frankenstein. Here's the article. Pumpkin spice everything! The basic, yep. the basic masses declared, and pumpkin spice everything appeared. Following up on 2021's seasonal red vines flavor, candy corn... The good people at American Licorice Company have decided that there is uh, where only everyone else has gone before. Pumpkin spice twists. Hmm. Pumpkins. Okay. Twists implies that there's another flavor. Hmm. I don't know. Or is it like, because I, I could imagine hmm, maybe having like one half be kind of a creamy, hmm. like vanilla-y and then have some pumpkin spice. Some maybe that would even it know. out. I don't know. The press release for the new Pumpkin Spice Twists promise a, quote, warm welcome to fall and claim that Pumpkin Spice is a comforting flavor profile that pairs perfectly with Red Vine's candy twist texture. Quote, these chewy licorice twists are the perfect snack for bonfires or trail walks, uh, reads the marketing (laughs) copy. So make sure you tell your bonfires to eat their licorice or else no marshmallows. You, the, if you don't finish your sugar, you're not going to get more you sugar. You don't get it. That's not how you get it. It's not, you better eat your vegetables. The man, good news I'm really is, enjoying this trail hike. It's real. Oh, man. I think I've been getting a sugar <laughs> rush. I, I'm going really fast. This is going to be followed up by an article that's f- f- top five ways to ruin a nice fall walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring some candy to really munch on it. Leave the wrappers in the, the woods. It's biodegradable. I will say, if you're Hansel and Gretel and you're looking for a candy to leave on the forest floor that won't get eaten... You found yeah. you found it. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, the good news is, like other red vines, these are fat-free, low-sodium, kosher, and halal-certified snacks, so they're basically a vegetable. <laughs> this is where we get back into it being an ad. This good. is just a sanctioned ad. <laughs> it is suggested that you make them, quote, an autumn pantry staple, or add them to your no. trick-or-treat offerings in, the, in Halloween. Uh, so, what do pumpkin spice red vines taste like? Uh, my testers had a three to two ratio of Twizzler lovers to red vine devotees. If you can believe it, I'm a, I'm Switzerland in this war, neither loving nor hating either type of candy. If my kids don't eat all the Twizzlers after Halloween, I'm hap- I'll happily accept their cast-offs. Uh, blah, blah, blah. We cracked open the plastic wrap and were immediately surprised by the strength of the smell of these guys. I would say they don't smell like nutmeg, the scent I associate with pumpkin pie. These have a vanilla sugar aroma akin to one wafting from a funnel cake, uh, Mm -hmm. at a fair. Oh. The smell, it turns out, is significantly stronger than the taste, unsurprisingly, I think. The taste Mm. does eventually give way to a warm pumpkin spice-like flavor profile, but paired with the familiar chewiness of licorice that I don't know I'd immediately connect with this (laughs) taste of pumpkin. Yeah, it's bold of the ad copy to say, like, this is a natural pairing with our unique texture of of rubber and, you know, just text a little little flavor in there for your rubber. Just chew on that for a while. 
Imagine if you open, you know, when you open up a pumpkin and there's this little strands of the goop inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we just twisted that into. By the way, I love whenever people say things like it eventually gave way to, because that implies that there was a forward taste that was not great that they can't talk about. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. That they sort of had to gloss over. They went, ooh, ooh? it, it ooh. turned okay at the end. Like, <laughs> yeah, not a not a great ad. This reminds me a little bit of last. Last two two Thanksgivings ago, we ordered a bunch of specialty candies that were fall flavors. And what I mean by that is they were hard candies, one of which was like sweet potato, another mm-hmm. of which was just corn, another of which was just <laughs> ham. No, that's <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah. It, and it tasted like ham, but it was hard candy and it was really off-putting. Yeah, that's, that's uh, what people in the 50s thought the future would be. Ham candy. This is and new it, meaning to candied ham. It's like an everlasting gobstopper, except all the worst <laughs> flavors. You can everlasting ham stopper. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. uh, if someone gives you one of these at Halloween, just um, you can throw it. Kill you them. have my permission to throw it. Just stuff it right back down their own throat. You know, stuff it back. <laughs> hey, old bag. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey old bag. Yeah, that's great. That's that's, that's, that's <laughs> really serious endorsement at all. Sure. Yeah, absolutely not. But I hope your we... next segment has less artificial flavoring. I would love if we got an email that made us do a little advisement of just like the views on this program are not <laughs> <laughs> not those held by the company of, of Redvine. <laughs> well, now we're going to go into some spooky history. And by spooky, I mean uh, murder. Murder, well, murder was the case, and they blame me. But this is some uh, this is some ancient murder. I'm gonna. Say, it's not ancient murder. It's old timey murder. So uh, statues of limitation is up. They got away with it. No, easy peasy. The no, perfect in, crime. In fact, there's a very public trial. <laughs> the <laughs> perfect go. crime. Uh. So this is the Wikipedia historian about Gilles de Race. Oh, Jean Valjean. Very good. Jean- <laughs> Javert. Javert. <laughs> or a loaf of bread. Uh, but Gilles de Race, uh, and I'm going to po- posit the, uh, or sorry, let me do, rephrase that. You and I, whenever we do these Wikipedia historians, and we've talked about this off the air. Sometimes there's a disparity in how much detail that they do. Sometimes yeah. you you find a topic that's either the barest cliff notes or let's get into the lineage of every single person involved <laughs> with this fucking story. Like sometimes you come across a, a Wikipedia entry for like a magical cow and you're like, yeah. this is going to be gold. And you click on it and it's like three sentences and you're like, what the hell? What is it? Give and me more. And they don't include like the most interesting parts. Right. Like that's always the most like... Just amazing part to me is when they don't do the the good details. The good details. But this yeah. is one of those stories um, where the, it, so I've kind of a little bit hodgepodged it. Most of it's going to be from the Wikipedia article, but I like pared it down because they have a lot of shit that they go into. Because hmm. this is going to uh, take place over the Hundred Years' War. Are um, oh. not not over it, but we'll get into it. So Gilles de Race. Javert. Well, uh, and also, I'm going to say, I am not French. I do not know French. I am bad at French. 
I'm going to butcher <laughs> all these names. <laughs> Warning up front. You have been up warned. Front. You have been warned that I'm going to absolutely, there's a lot of names. <laughs> all <laughs> right. they, and they get, uh, there's, they're, they get increasingly, the they get increasingly more French as you get. <laughs> <laughs> there is one that makes me laugh and we're going to, uh, it's, we're immediately, we're going to get into it. Gilles de Reyes, this is getting into his early life. Gilles de Reyes, uh, the oldest son of Marie de Crayon. Oh, and, de Crayon, of course. Oh, get, <laughs> and then my cousin de Marcar. Um, <laughs> and Guy de Laval Rice uh, descended from a number of great feudal houses. Through his mother, he was linked to the House of Crayon, a wealthy Western family, and through his father to the Laval family, one of the two most important Breton lineages of the 15th century. He was born in, quote, in a room called the Black Tower at Chantis <laughs> Castle. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Yeah. This room, of, <laughs> this one room is called the Black... This is our bedroom, and this is our attached bathroom. And, and, the- if you, and if you go through this bathroom, you'll find the Black Tower. Hi, we were looking at the um, blueprint, and we were in love with the castle. We love but, it. Um, you seem to have a black <laughs> tower, and we don't know what that we means. We don't know what that is, actually. We put our foul little boy who hates everybody. <laughs> in that. Uh, so he was, at an unknown date, he was born probably, they say, in 1404. Uh, and he had a brother named Rene, born in 1414. Following the deaths of his mother... Uh, at an unknown date, and his father, who died, uh, he pulled a Robert Baratheon. Huh? He was gored by a boar. Woof. That's a real so way I people think, go? Dang. Yeah. I, I think he, he, like, George R. R. Martin might have, like, taken that. Pulled that? Or there's oh, just oh. A, a lot of nobles that have uh, died <laughs> from being bo- gored by boars. Classic um, noble things, am I right? Yeah. At the end of October the four, uh, 1415 in Macul, the young brothers, Gilles and René, were raised by their maternal grandfather, Jean de Crayon, Lord of Lassus and Chantis. The loss of the son Amory of the Battle of Agincourt in October 1415, a battle in which a member of his, of his household perished in addition to his sole male successor, prompted uh, Jean de Crayon to take charge of and manage the property of Gilles and René, who had become his sole heirs. In this way, Crayon broke the will and testament of Guy de Leverois, so his father, which appointed John II. Uh, I'm not even going to do his full. It's Tournament de Hondele as guardian, tutor, protector, and defender of legitimate administrator of the two orphans. Obviously, the f- grandfather said, fuck that shit. Mm. And that is a first, that is a very telling thing because the mm-hmm. grandfather, I'm going to say, is a big piece of shit. Yeah, sounds and, like it already. He like, teaches that guy's his, last will and testament. Nah, we're not doing that. So a lot of this, like first part, is just to set up this character of of Gilles de Reyes. He okay. was a, apparently in the Black Tower. They uh, set him up so he would be woken by the the like uh, sunrise. Like they, he literally had a like idyllic childhood. Of like being woken every morning by the light of the the sun and like the birds oh, are yes, chirping, father. the sun, flowers mm. are blooming. Yes. So and they had uh, huge amounts of land. So uh, they this led them to matrimonial projects. Hmm. Uh, that's the next segment of the Wikipedia article. Uh, so they were some of the most eligible bachelors, including uh, a wealthy Norman heiress named G- Jean Paynell, who sadly died before the arrangement was made. Uh, Reese eventually became engaged to his cousin, 
Catherine de Tours. In addition to the obstacle posed by the consanguinity of race and they're related, so the the church was not happy. Classic <laughs> like, noble what the fuck? things, am I right? It is very classic noble. Uh, disputes arose from the between the House of Crayon and Mills the Mizu de, de Tours, the other guy, Lord of uh, Pazgoons in Tifongs. Yeah, this is getting rough. Uh, <laughs> ignoring these constraints and without waiting for an ecclesiastical dispensation, Race abducted Catherine de Tours and married her in a chapel outside his parish church. Whoa! Without the bands of uh, without publishing bands of marriage, uh, despite an arrangement contract drawn up on the thirtieth November fourteen twenty, the two young people had their union annulled and. De- declared incestuous by the church but they eventually got this resolved and they were fully married uh two years later in 1422 <laughs> oh, that little incestuous thing we had that we we took care of that that was just Literally, a fine print i i am like I'm going to be truncating stuff, but there is like a, a whole thing where they're, it's, it's because they're nobles. Like it literally is because they paid off. Yeah. The guy. They're, they're just like, they're I, it, good. It's got to come down to money. Cause it's like, that's, Hey, of all the problems, that's not a solvable problem in your relation. There's nothing you can do to remedy that in your relationship. You guys no. are, are related. There's nothing to do there. Um, and this was just for land. Like this is just straight up for the marriages back in the day were purely between nobles for land. Transactionally, yeah. Um, and as part of their marriage contract, Catherine's mother, Beatrice de Monchon, uh, retained in, in dowry a number of possessions of the late uh, Miles to de Tours, who was originally supposed to be the guy that was supposed to take care of the kids. She remarried, however, to a former squire of her late husband in Chamberlain to the king, Charles VIII. Or the seventh? Oh, um, she married this, the, the squire boy. Yeah, she was like, I'm going to go with this guy. This union compromised the plans of Lord Lesseuse and his grandson. As a result, the two men commissioned their acolyte, Jean de Leneau, captain of Trefus, uh, to kidnap Beatrice. Jean de Leneau also sees Jacques Minchin's young sister. D- none of that matters. Beatrice de Monjoun was in prison at Le Lume-Botreur, uh, then at Chantis, her son-in-law, Gilles de Reis and Jean de Crayon, threatened to sew her up in a sackcloth and throw her into a river if she did not rel- relinquish her dower. Hey, what the so, hell? So TLDR, um, he got married to his cousin. Her mother was supposed to get married to uh, the his grandfather, de Crayon, Jean right. de Crayon. Um, they were, but they, they were holding a retainer. She gets married to another person. She They kidnap her in order to... Basically be like, we're going to throw you into a fucking river if you don't give us these castles. Jesus Christ. That is setting up who these people are. <laughs> they they are brigands with a fancy name. Yeah. So th- basically, they try to free the, the wife, but and they get summons to go to the Parliament of Paris, but they just say, fuck that, and they just don't go. Um, Wait, you can do that as a royal? You can just say, nah. Oh, back in the day. Yeah. Wow. Um, they ended up uh, doing a compromise um, where they by giving Jacques the castle at Pontius, but they later did some trickery to also get that. <laughs> so they they were basically like accumulating castles at this point. Huh. So I'm gonna kind of like skip over. He owns him and his grandfather own multiple castles in huge parts of of France. They have mm-hmm. a lot of power at this point, um, including there's a including spread across Brittany, Anjou, Poitou. Maine, which I didn't know, it's spelled like the the state Maine, 
I didn't know that was a That's a part of, of France? France? Oh, yeah. okay. Wow, uh, way to go, Maine. And Andrew knows. So he, he had a lot of different castles, and that helped his later crimes, which we will get into um, in a little bit. But this is all just kind of setting up. Um, but so he had money, but there's kind of historical uh, people aren't sure how much money he actually had. Um, these estates were not always a good value since the income from them could be encumbered in various ways, such as irrevocable, irrevocable alienations granted by the previous barons of Retz uh, in favor of vassals or the church, um, widows enjoying dowries according to customary laws uh, and things like that. And as well as having an army. So ah. like they, they there's kind of built in costs to these things. Hmm. And that's not even going to be uh, kind of doing a little foreshadowing. That's not the reason he's going to become bankrupt later <laughs> on. So like, the, yeah, they, they argue whether he's a great Lord or not, but they say he's one of the richest Lords in France. Um, or they say it might be a figure of speech. It's one of those things where it's like a little bit people don't know, but he, he does have a huge army mm-hmm. and an opulent lifestyle. So let's get into his military career. And I'm going to truncate a lot of history into a very short amount. All right. What, yep. do, you, what do you know about the Hundred Years' War? Not a whole lot. It was, did you know it was more than 100 years? No, I didn't actually. It was 116 years, and it was in three segments. So they didn't, it wasn't like continuous warring. And this is a war between France and England. Okay. So at so we're in the third phase right now. This is later on. This is okay. like literally it's a war that he was born into. Um so Britain had a control of a part of France and they mm-hmm. were a- allied with basically like the equivalent of Vichy France of Burgundians is what mm-hmm. they're called um who worked with them because uh basically the King Henry V of England successfully established himself as the son-in-law to the heir to the an heir to King Charles VI of France. So basically if King Charles VI dies, the King of England becomes King of France. Huh. That So he would own two that seems bad. Countries. Yeah, that that's seems not that's, right. the, that's the bad parts of inner uh like how incestuous a lot of these families were is that they're like wait a second that's bad. And so that it led to um the Armonic Burgundian Civil War. Um as they also call this the Lancastrian uh, war because he was the house of Lancaster okay. the British. Um, so they were fighting each other and then enters in a very famous figure. Do you know Joan of Arc? Of course. So uh, Joan of Arc arrives in uh, the capital because she was hearing voice voices that said, go to the capital, find the king. Uh, you got to enter this war. And there was some, there's some kind of like historical bullshit, which I don't know if it's a story or not, where apparently the king was like, oh, a prophet wants to see me. Oh, well, I'm going to hide among all the nobles and she's going to have to pick me out. And then she did. And he's like, oh, she gets to lead the wabbies. Like, <laughs> all right. that's, that's kind of what happens a little bit. Um, and Gilles de Race is her right hand man. Like okay. literally he is next to her at the siege of Orleans. Hmm. He saves her life multiple times. So Race contributed to the lifting of the Siege of Orleans, notably by taking part in the storming of the St. Lou Bastille on May 6th. He then took part with Joan of Arc in the Loire uh, campaign of 1429, aimed at recapturing the towns occupied by the English garrisons of the region. He also he, he was in Battle of Jargon and the Battle of Partey. 
So he is weird, I think, for nobles, or not for nobles back in the day, but in our view of nobles, where he was also, he was a fancy man, but he was also like a battle-hardened fucker. Like huh. there's, there's no other way to say it. He was, he was a, a he was a finance bro of that, of that era. He liked to work hard and play hard. And yeah. that was his sort of his lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so he even at the siege of Paris, she gets a crossbow bolt to the leg and like, he's right there to help her and like get her away. Um, but for people who know the history of Joan of Arc, she was a candle at both ends with a bonfire on each end because mm-hmm. she only lasted like she was like 16 and she only lasted like a year mm-hmm. in the war and yet she has a huge thing in history like she's mm-hmm. a massive figure um because she gets caught by the burgundians they put her on trial mm-hmm. uh execute her mm-hmm. even though Gilles de reese was a big uh fan of hers and like a big bro uh didn't come to help her and the, Yikes. The, some historians are like he did troop movements to kind of like try to maybe figure out a way but he didn't actually help her in any way because of the way that their histories kind of intermingle and how they're kind of parallels of each other where they're both war heroes and they're both on this pious mission but they go in totally different directions because she becomes a saint and he literally gets wiped from the history books Hmm. um like he because he is right next to her the entire way and people are like that's cool their names kind of rhyme we like that like we like this guy (laughs) and then his crimes come out and people go oh fuck um and people also write fan fiction i'm not gonna get into like the weird people yeah people people literally people are like maybe they had a a a thing together and it's like she was a virgin and she was very i don't i don't buy that at all she she was very she was also kind of (laughs) crazy let's be clear i think she probably had like schizophrenia or something where she heard voices and part of the reason she got caught in the like view of the her madness was that she didn't follow the voices and so that led her to being killed okay so he once she gets killed the war kind of like continues on for a little bit longer but she isn't feeling it um and also jean de crayon his grandfather died in november 1930 or 1432 by mid 1434 despite his forced absence from the court le tremol who is a uh, uh i think probably like one of the marshals or something was still urging race to continue the war against the burgundians but probably already ruined by his expenses, Race made little attempt to prevent Philip the Good's troops from seizing Grace Gracie Grancy. Um, before the after the fall of the city in August 1434, Charles mm. uh, the Seventh summoned Race and threatened to strip him of his office of marshal, which he had been promoted to because he was mm. a war hero. Um, Race was quote probably replaced by Andre de Lerac, assumes Philip. Uh, can't mind so basically but he was already out at that point he was basically like i'm not feeling it mm-hmm. and then we get to that's all history just to get to this fun part okay give me, squandering the, fun of, give me the give me the tasty morsels that i crave squandering of heritage okay the squ- name of the <laughs> so he is a big fancy boy most of the information related to the squandering of Gilles de Reyes' assets comes from a 70-folio uh, brief written around 1461 to 1462 by his heirs. This document is expanded version of an earlier brief that led to Reyes being placed under indiction in 1435. Um, not all medievals agree on the reliability of the source. Um, in addition to the trial proceedings that come later, 
Um, historians consider this text to be, quote, one of the most important documents to kind of illuminate what Gilles de Reyes was doing, because once again, he was kind of wiped from the history books a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in this brief, the heirs incriminated Reyes for his, quote, insane expenses he incurred as soon as he reached the age of 20, even before the death of his grandfather, Jean de Carillon. Uh, the brief also mentioned the upkeep of troops of 200 mounted men as one of the uh, late marshal's prolifigraphies, uh, but did not insist on this point. So, uh, so he just ter- casually kept 200 dudes ready to fight at all times as like, uh, yeah, I'm keeping that on the books. Yeah, it's so they also say this terseness could be explained by the prudence of the heirs, anxious not to offend Charles the Seventh by voicing uh, too much criticism of races' military spending. A token is a, uh, basically they didn't want to say because kind of going into a little bit of historical context, the king did not have ultimate power like we would think of it now. Mm-hmm. He had to go to the nobles and say, "I'm going to throw this war on." Um, can I need you your help. help. Me? Yeah, can you fund yeah, me? Can you yeah. give me? Give me, can you give me troops? And so having that many troops is fucking expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> to have that many dudes. It was kind of like how uh, in U.S. history, there's the Articles of Confederation before the, we had the Constitution, mm-hmm. which you had to like the federal, they couldn't do federal taxes for like an army. So they had to go to each people and be like, so we're doing a war. Can and you help like, us out? Virginia's like, um, is Massachusetts paying though? Because we're not going to pay unless Massachusetts pay. And then it gets into a whole right. bullshit like that. But imagine that. But instead of, like, a state legislator, it's a dude. Like, it's a guy with, like, ultimate power. Um, this is not in, like, the either the Wikipedia article or the uh, other articles I looked at. Uh, he, one of the basic, biggest expenses he would do is he would throw these massive plays. Plays? Cannot, yes. Wow. They were called mystery plays. Because, mm. But they weren't, they weren't, like, mysteries like we would think it. It's more of, like, uh, like prophecy or like uh, historical things or like things from the bible okay um so so like kind of like reenactments yeah and one of the biggest reenactments he does is the siege of orleans that he was in oh so he, so he, he, so he he's doing an autobiography days <laughs> he is and he but he didn't he wasn't in, he was only like a bit part in it yeah and so he kind of was myth making himself but yeah. these were like 150 person plays on a massive stage that they said would 150 people what they could i think it was even more than that they because they said that they could realistically simulate armies moving wait what yeah that's imagine that imagine a stage so big that you could have so many dudes on it that it looks like an army is coming onto stage like That's that's ridiculous even more ridiculous is that every single play which he threw, like, he would have multiple showings. Sometimes they would be multiple days. They would have food for everybody. It was free admission. Um, every single time, he would have every single person get new wardrobe. Like, they would make everything from Whoa. scratch every single time. So, that is wow. That's that's crazy town. Yeah, that's the level of opulence that he was on. Was He was just like, nope, get rid of these clothes. I won't They're wear it to what, more than once, and neither should any of them. Yeah, so he so every single time they would have to so th- he is hemorrhaging money. Mm-hmm. Like he has no way of uh getting this money back. And now we get into his criminal life. So the thing that I forgot to mention at the beginning, do you know the story of Bluebeard? Mm-mm. Bluebeard is like an a uh, fable, like a French fable, and basically the TLDR is uh Bluebeard's a noble, he gets a wife. He says, you can go into any room except for that one room. 
And so she curiously goes into the room, finds all the corpses of the previous wives, and then he's like, you shouldn't have done that. And then her brothers uh. come and beat the shit out of him, and then she gets a Prince Charming. Um, but the people have said that the story of Bluebeard is based off of Gilles de Race, which I what I hell? don't know if it's actually true, because Gilles de Race did not kill his wives. He killed kids. Wait, so now we're... <laughs> oh my... What? Yep, welcome to this plot twist. What? We're now getting into horrible fairy tale time it is because now we're getting into like literally this is horror movie time. oh god okay uh i'm going to say up front i'm not going to go into detail about what happens to the kids like i'm not going to go into gory details about them that is not what this program is for you can look it up on your own um that is but everything surrounding it is spooky enough that it's plenty of content all right so during the years of 1434 and 13 35, disgraced by the Charles uh, by Charles VII, Race gradually withdrew from military and public life to pursue his own interests. And this part is from a website called History Defined, because for some reason they didn't go into like his like anything surrounding his child murders okay. <laughs> and other things, which I think is kind of understandable, but it's also his biggest crime, so I don't like you kind of have, a, have to tell it. According to court documents, Gilles de Race carried out this systematic abduction and murder of children of over Sheesh. how many thing how many kids do you think he killed how many years are we talking about uh this they say it was over uh like one or two years or no between 1432 and 1440 so, so that's eight years eight years and uh, i think he does oh specify God. in the court thing like no 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 it wasn't 10 years it was eight years like he was he's it's that oh i don't know like 25 oh god that's that's icky uh he the low estimates are over 100 children jesus christ yeah (laughs) um but it wasn't until he assaulted a priest in september of that year that anyone came forward to denounce his crimes uh when the first witnesses came forward to accuse the french nobleman they all had a similar story their sons had disappeared in or around Lesseux, one of Gilles de Ray's properties. All of these children had spent some time with de Ray's. One even claimed that he had been forced to drink white wine during one of his visits. So basically, he would have both servants or himself go and get kids, including the most terrifying one of all, which was an old lady that they literally nicknamed the Terror because she was literally a fairy tale witch. Where she would go, come with me, kids. Come with me. And he would make it extra decadent for them. Because this is a wartime. So there's people. He would, like, go to houses and be like, I'll buy your kid. And people will go, "Go, okay. And then, like, sell their kid. Or they're just orphans everywhere. Not only that, but he also created his own fucking church. um, Called the, the Church of Innocence or something like that. Where he had choir boys. And so, and... This is like a point of that historians kind of use mm. to point that because later we're not going to get into it, but people say, ask whether he was actually guilty or not. Mm-hmm. He's guilty. I'm going to say <laughs> most historians agree that he's guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't stop the French for some reason in like 1992 for doing a f- mock retrial, which is like a big spectacle. And there's they're like, yeah, Wait, no what? medieval historians were there. Yeah, it was a really Wait, weird. What? It was okay. just a weird publicity just like stuff a public, that the French, yeah, right. that they did for some reason. Um, so he would have his servants uh, 
try to pry these kids from their their parents. They did so by promising the boys they would have a better life under the guidance of Derace in his lavish castle. Some parents even volunteered to give up their sons, believing the benefit of the tutelage of the wealthy noblemen. Over time, the parents would have come to suspect the fates of their missing children. Um, But people didn't know until the actual trial what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically... Because, I mean, like, they would give up their their son, and the noblemen presumably, like... He lived around, like... Yeah, he he had multiple states, so he would, like... But it was still, like, of course he went... Like, everyone knew. Like, it was it wasn't even yeah. a secret within, like, the nobility. Um, it was kind of like when people talk about, like, Epstein and stuff, of, like, mm-hmm. how many people knew. And it's, like, I think a lot of people knew that he was a child killer, but nobody yeah. cared because he was also powerful enough that he couldn't be stopped. Be tu- yeah, he couldn't be touched. Weird. Oh. Um, so he would... Basically, he would make it more terrifying by... Because this is literally a scene from a movie. He would, like, bring them in a lavish cart and, like, dress them up in finery and, like, bring them to this huge lavish d- dinner that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Because they're just poor kids. Um, and then it would turn into a nightmare. So this... So he was doing that, and he was also an occultist. People, mm-hmm. people will say he was a Satanist, too. He was kind of dabbling in Satanism. Okay. Um, because he hoped that alchemy and things like that would fix his money troubles. He thought he, the philosopher's <laughs> okay, so he was would so be deep, real. He was so deep in the hole that he was looking for that, that golden light out. Yeah. Um, huh. So in, in 1438, according to the testimony at his trial by the priest Estache Blanchette um, and the cleric Francois Pellati... Race sent out Blanchette to seek out individuals who knew alchemy and demon summoning. Blanchette oh, contra- yeah. contacted Brilletti in Florence and persuaded him to take service with his master. Having reviewed the magical books of Prelletti and a traveling Breton, Race chose to initiate experiments. The first is the lower hall of his castle of uh, Trifalgues, uh, attempting to summon a demon named Baron. Race provided a contact with the demon uh, with riches that Proletti was to give to the demon later. As no demon manifested after three tries, the marshal grew frustrated with the lack of results. Proletti said Baron was angry and required the offering parts of a child, which is like oh saying to God, an okay. addict. Yeah, right. he. I think so. It's one of those. He. I'm kind of brushing over some things, but he brought in like multiple magicians who would be like, pow, pow. All right. He'd be like, that was pretty good. And just give them a coin if they didn't have anything more. And then Mm -hmm. they would leave. This was the first guy that was like, I know a demon and his name's Baron. And they do say that he, Baron would sometimes show up or like he would, they would hear voices. I'm pretty sure it was just a guy. Yeah. It was was a guy. guy Yeah. Some razzle dazzle. Um, so he basically said, like, to a drug addict, hey, how about you get me some drugs and I can make all your problems go away? Yeah. And he's like, oh, bet. Like, yeah. And he immediately say, say was no like, more. oh, I got these parts of a kid. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> it's like, um, whoa, that was a little too fast, my dude. Yeah. Um, so these occult experiments let him be- left him better and his wealth severely depleted. So let's so let's basically he gets to a point where he has to go and become a brigand again. Um, okay. and he, cause he's selling off properties too. Um, one of the properties he sells is the Castellani of St. Etienne de Marmont, uh, to Rene de la Suze in 1434. 
Gilles Reyes changed his mind and reclaimed it in an act of force, managing to keep his property by reaching a subsequent agreement with his younger brother in Nantes uh, on 15th of January, 1439. Uh, wow, man is really deep in this hole and he's having an emotional crisis. So basically, he he ambushes a troop of 50 to 60 men in a wood near Saint-Étienne-de-Marmont. Uh, he entered the parish church, armed, and interrupted the mass of the rig- religious officiant Jean Le Ferron, insulted the latter, and threatened to kill him with a gizarm, which I think is just a sword, uh, if he did not leave the sanctuary. Frightened, the cleric followed in the footsteps of Marquis Liano de Queva, uh, a captain of Reese's service. After opening the gates of the Saint de, uh, Etienne de Marmarte uh, castle to his assailants, uh, the he was uh, imprisoned there. Um, and basically, this becomes a whole big... It, this gives arguably the other nobles reason to, to get him. Mm-hmm. They, they had been thinking about getting him for a while, but this and is this like a big like, faux pas. Yeah, the, you're right, right, right. He's Go, opened up the in, floodgates and you can't just open up somebody's house. You can't do that. Yeah, going into a church and threatening the priest being like, fuck you, give me back my land that he sold. Like, he, yeah. <laughs> it's not like it was, it was just a bad deal for bridge him. Bridge too far. Um, for, for the for the nobles, a bridge too far. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, basically comes to his trial. They do uh, questioning. They put that in quotes because that is is just torture. They torture him <laughs> into confessing. Yikes. Um, and he he does confess, and this leads him and two of his servants get uh put to death. And the the count that he was given is 140 children or more. But they also just say like, yeah, he killed a bunch of kids. Like mm-hmm. they aren't. It's weirdly they aren't focused on it, which is mm-hmm. why people kind of are like. Is he really, did he really do this? Or is this a political hit job? Like, did they just like throw that in at the end? But historians are like, it's too detailed. Like Mm -hmm. people had too much testimony where it's like, this is not uh, something that either people have insane imaginations or not. Yeah. Um, Race and his two accomplices proceeded to the place of execution at Il de Bessi. I don't know. Race is said to have addressed the crowd with a contrite piety and extorted Henrietta and uh poitou who was uh i think henriette uh was the terror and poitou is his like manservant to die bravely and think only of salvation like his ass is gonna get salvation <laughs> uh his request to the uh to be the first to die has been granted the day before at 11 o'clock the brush uh at the platform was set afire and reese was hanged because they for some reason they hang him and burn him yeah, Which I think that was the thing. That was like a multiple multiple forms of death thing. That's that sometimes would happen. But don't worry, his body was cut down before being consumed by the flames and claimed by four ladies of high rank for burial. So he still got the full innocent so treatment. The, oh, wow. The full noble treatment. Sheesh. Um so anyway, that is Gilles de Race. That is a historical I know I spent a long time on this, but <laughs> so he he is the OG boogeyman. Like, I wanted yeah. to bring this up because it is just, like, spooky. Like, yeah, it is, like, fairy tale spooky energy. Like, it yeah. is insane. And he was doing dark arts and stuff, too. Like, he is, I think he's a fascinating figure because he is just, Ugh. he is full villain. Like, yeah. there's not ma- that many people in this world that I feel like are cartoon, like, literally the thing fables like are Like, fairy tale, on. yeah, fairy tale level of, like, of, of, of creepiness, of ghoulishness. Yeah, but like hopefully. Stealing kids and, ugh. But, uh, 
Theo, I did k- kind of take up all the time. I'm sorry. This it's we too only got spooky. What? Too spooky. I got, I got that spooky in. Well, it's, it's still spooky too season. Spooky. You're just gonna. Keep, it's all year round. It's a lifestyle, baby. We're just gonna it keep it going. <laughs> yeah, we had to get through a lot of history. <laughs> a lot of hundred years war history. A lot of hundred years war to lead up to the true boogeyman coolishness. Yes, but. Uh, that brings us to the end of the podcast mm, we, right we there. got here and we and you know what you don't have to be in an opulent carriage brought by a spooky witch to the end of this podcast no 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 <laughs> sir you brought yourself here you brought yourself here you played yourself you played yourself and now you're here with us at the end and we want to thank you for coming to the end of the podcast with us and if you have any spooky segments you can send it to segmentcitypodcast at gmail.com or I guess we're getting Thanksgiving. Is it Thanksgiving segment? <laughs> get, get ready for turkey gobble. Get ready for your yeah. turkey gobble segments. Come on. Turkey gobble. Uh, and if you... So send us segmentcitypodcast at gmail.com. Hit up our Twitter. Hit up our YouTube. And leave us ratings. Leave us reviews. We love to see them. And we want to give a big thank you to somebody in particular. Thank you to Rachel Robinson. She does our intro music. And she was featured on our last episode. And if you didn't check that out, Ooh. you can go check that out now. In addition to her new music she just released you can find that on spotify or streaming platforms really anywhere so you have very few excuses i keep reminding you of this and some say she's dressed up in all the dolly and finest you know frilly doodads and bizarre the race she is no no she just dresses like that she for no reason she's just like that now we can call her the Joan of Arc of this podcast because I we don't sure know can. what that technically means. <laughs> and to round it out, we have a report. Breaking whoa, news. Whoa, this is coming whoa. in from Iwaspoison.com. If you oh, are no. in the Williamsburg, Iowa area, take notice. Take this notice. is a post from I Was Poisoned where people crowdsourced fast food poisoning, food poisoning. So the post goes like a little, a little something like this. Last night, Arby fast food, chicken, bacon, Swiss. I only drank one Bud Light beer can that night when I got home. I ordered the chicken, bacon, Swiss and chicken nuggets. And for my friend, I ordered beef and classic two of them. Waited 25 minutes on the drive, though. They got they even forgot the Dr. Pepper drink. So I had to remind the guy that I ordered it and gave me a medium sized cup. But after I got home from Arby and finished eating the chicken, I felt so sick to my stomach that I got up to use the restroom. I felt very sick. (laughs) All till morning, there's vomit all over my room and bathroom, diarrhea, and a lot of vomiting. I absolutely love when they do, they go on tangents where they're like, the service wasn't even good. They didn't have my Dr. Pepper ready. It's like, that has nothing to do with the, <laughs> that's just how much you hate this one. Arby's. I love that this man was so sick that he couldn't even write out the fact that he went to Arby's. He went to, he said, after I got home from Arby. Arby? <laughs> Arby? <laughs> my, friend, my friend Arby house. Last time I got home from Arby. And, he uh, gave as- me some roast beef. As proof, he uh, posted a picture of his receipt that, oh. <laughs> does, that does indeed show one medium Dr. Pepper. Oh, I love right when they there. post the receipt. Like, like we're right going to give a shit. Like, right. oh, get that, get that ID number. Like, let's get put that into there. the system. Well, well, we did it. Hopefully I'm marking that, that as, I'm, I'm thumb-upping that. I'm saying I find that helpful. <laughs> Thanks, do, Arby. Do you, do, you, do you have to have an account to do that? I'm pressing helpful. I don't know. Huh. 
Well, you're very helpful. Thanks. Thanks, Arby. Hey, Arby, sponsor us. (laughs) Not after this shield to race segment. Are you kidding me? Nobody's going to touch us with a 10-foot pole. Uh, Oh, well. At least we did it for the content. We tanked our podcast for the content. We do it for the content. We do it for you. Yep. Come back next week. We might do it again. You don't know.